retrieve the flag. child was close to death. We were starving. You'll starve again unless you learn the meaning of the law. Know the meaning of those 19 years. The slave of the law. Five years for what you did. The rest because you tried to run. Yes, 24601. My name is Sung Bangshan. And I'm Javert. Do not forget my name. Do not forget me. Two, four, six, oh, one. That was a musical, okay? So, <laughs> you're not, you weren't expecting that, huh? <laughs> we would think people are crazy if they did that in, in real life. So, um, well, that is, that is from a musical, Les Miserables. And it's, it, it displays some different things that I, that I wanted to highlight this morning. And we're starting a new series this morning. But we, we live, and you see bits of this in that scene, we live in a cruel and broken world where people carry deep hurt and where bitterness can haunt us and hatred can well up inside of us and retaliation and revenge. Those are all very real-life considerations. And so in this story... Um, the, the, the prisoner, his name is Jean, Jean Valjean, and uh, he, he is released after 19 years of serving in prison uh, for stealing a loaf of bread. And it says that five years for stealing the bread and the other years were for running, trying to run. And so, but he's finally released, he, and he's given his papers. He's out on parole, and um, he, he is told by the prison guard, you know, you know, he, well, first the prisoner says, I'm free. And he says, no, you're not really free. You're going to have to carry this paper, your parole papers. You need to present this every time you encounter people. And basically what that would mean is that people would be, you know, he would be not able to get any work. He's just going to be treated as a convict. And so, um, and, you know, it was a cruel sentence for what he did. Um, you know, 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread. And, and the challenge for this guy now is to, to build a life to rebuild a life. But with these papers that he's presenting, there's no way for him to really do that. And so what does he do? He finds himself in a position again, and he steals something from a kind um, bishop who is taking him in for the night. He steals some silver. And here he is. He's, he's finding find himself in, in a bad spot. 
And the bishop had every opportunity to, to, you know, send him back to prison. But instead, the bishop, basically, he says, look, here's your chance for a fresh start in life. I'll give you your life back. He extends him grace and mercy. And he says, you know, I purchased your, your soul. I bought you back, and you're, you're now God's. And so this prisoner, he has this moment where he just, he receives this grace and mercy, and he just decides, I'm going to start a new life. I'm going to become a new man. I'm going to now extend this grace and mercy to other people. And he tries to pull this off. He tries to, to begin a new life. And he actually begins to do that. He becomes this very generous, loving, caring, forgiving man. But that prison guard, Javert, who he said, do not forget my name. Because he's saying, I'm, I'm going to, I want you to remember my name and my face. He says, you know, if you escape or if you walk on your parole, I'm coming after you. And that's exactly what the story is about. This man you know, for many years, hunts to find this, this escaped parolee. And uh, meanwhile, Jean Valjean, he starts his new life, and he really does move on, but he's constantly having to be on the move because this guy's after him. And the story is a very, very powerful story, and it addresses several themes, um, different issues. One is the issue of revenge. One is the issue of identity, forgiveness. And it, it helps set the stage for what we're going to look at this morning. We'll pick up more of the story because I want to show you what happens in this, uh, in this man's life and in their f- future encounter. But uh, those issues and more come up in the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to look at. We're beginning this morning to look at Jesus' most famous sermon. It's found in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. In fact, um, in the opinion of most Christ followers and Bible scholars, this sermon by Jesus ranks among the top sermons ever given. And so I want to describe a little bit about the setting of, of the nation and the culture, and even just along with some events in Jesus' life up to this point. So Jesus, um, well, Jerusalem was conquered about 90 years before by the Romans. And the emperor, the Roman emperor, he installed a new king to lead and to rule over the Jews uh, and to answer to Rome and kind of to play this buffer between Rome and the Jews. And the Romans were always concerned that the Jewish um, people would revolt against them. And so King Herod, their king, would strike a deal. He struck a deal with the religious leaders of that day, the the high priests and these religious leaders known as the Pharisees. And these were oppressive religious leaders. And so the common Jews hated these religious leaders who were appointed over them. They hated that they were kind of intermingling with the Roman government. And it was just, it brought all sorts of tension in relationships. Um, The devout Jewish person of the day was longing for a Messiah, longing for a Savior, someone who would overthrow the Romans, and really become that righteous ruler um, to deliver them. And so that's the setting when Jesus was born. Jesus' birth was this miraculous birth, but the general public did not know about the miracles of his birth. They didn't know about the virgin birth. Um, They didn't know about the angels who confirmed his identity. They didn't know about the wise men who uh, followed the star and worshipped this child king because there was no TV, no internet. News traveled very slowly. And so Jesus, he really grew up as a pretty ordinary man. His first 30 years... Grew up as a common man. He worked as a carpenter. Um, But then at his baptism, he was baptized. And his baptism was very unique in that when he came up out of the water, a voice from heaven spoke. God spoke through the heavens saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And so that was the beginning of the, uh, really, the miraculous events surrounding Jesus' life and his ministry. He launches into ministry at the age of 30 at that point. And along with teaching and preaching about the good news of the kingdom and 
People are being healed of all sorts of diseases. People with sicknesses are being healed. People um, that are oppressed by demons come to Jesus and he casts spirits, evil spirits, out of these people. Epileptics, paralytics, all of these people are being healed. And all of this hope is starting to build in the area. And people began to realize this could be the one. He could be the Savior. He could be the Messiah. And so there was all this buzz in the region and crowds flocking to Jesus. And before everyone is swept into this frenzy, Jesus, he pulls a group of his core followers together and he he delivers this sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And so just imagine what an amazing opportunity to hear Jesus deliver this message. This is really um, the chance of a lifetime because he begins to describe something. The word chance, it means the possibility of something happening. And Jesus, he preaches this message and he paints the picture of a different way of life and something that an opportunity that can occur in a person's life um, that would be different than what they had been experiencing. He does this. He preaches this message because it's vital that they understand what life in his kingdom is really like. And he describes a kingdom that is really upside down and really inverted from what you and I would say is, is ordinary and certainly was inverted and upside down to their world. And so, um, but a king Uh, A king's leadership dramatically impacts life for the citizens of their kingdom. Any king has the power to impact the lives of those who are in their kingdom. For instance, if I mention Adolf Hitler, what comes to mind? Uh, Cruelty, um, certainly the Holocaust. I'm glad I didn't live under that regime. That would have been horrible. Um, another, Another person, Winston Churchill, a man who who called other nations to really rise up and fight the evil of the Nazi regime. Again, this leader, his, his leadership impacted those that he led. It impacted and influenced those he led in a, in a great way. What about the current North uh, Korean leader, Kim Jong-un? Now, he's the new dictator there. Um, I wouldn't want to be his friend. Uh, if you read the news about some of the things that have gone on, he... He executes those who become a threat to him. Uh, his uncle, who helped train him for his new role, um, he saw him as a threat recently, and so he wiped out his uncle and all of his family, children, wife, um, just wiped out a group of people, wiped out 33 missionaries um, who he saw as a threat to their country. But in his kingdom, um, or in his realm, you'd be terrified to make a wrong move, wouldn't you? I was reading something about um, the voting system in North Korea. They have a, an, an election, and um, they have 100% um, votes. You know, everyone, can you, why would you vote against things? You know, uh, they, 100% of the time, you know, they get the people in office that he wants there. So what happens is they present, him and his leadership team, they present, you know, here's, here's who we recommend for this role, yes or no. So all the citizens come. They're all entitled to one vote with the camera over their head. <laughs> so you better choose yes, right? If you choose no, it's probably not going to go well for you. What if I say President George Washington? What comes to mind? Freedom. A country built on principles that have made this place a really a great place to live for the past, uh, you know, at least a couple of centuries. And people are, people are blessed or not blessed by those who lead, by those who rule them. So here in this sermon, what Jesus is telling his followers is, here's where I'm going to lead you if you want me to, to be your king. 
And so for us, if you are considering Jesus, if you're considering following Jesus, then this series will help you understand more about his kingdom. Whenever a person trusts their life to Jesus Christ, you enter his kingdom. You step into the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is not found on a map. It's found presently in the rule of the hearts of of men and women who follow him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to show how following him is the chance, really, of a lifetime for a few things. Look at all these things that he covers in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, for peace, for impact, for all you need, for freedom, for focus, and for the one and only. These are all different things that are covered in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at each of these over the next six weeks. Today, though, we're going to look at the first one, and how Jesus develops his people into peacemakers who handle relationships in a different way. And so look at the, uh, list, or look at the, the graphic on the front of your listening guide. You can see the world outside is upside down. You look out the door of your house. The world's flipped upside down. Why? It's because once you walk through the door and decide to follow Christ, if you're in the process of doing that, if you were to do that, the life that you live is really an upside-down life. The life that, that he calls us to live, it just it looks very, very different than the world's way of doing life. And so he begins this issue by laying out that peculiar life. And it begins with a passage that's called the Beatitudes. And, and in the Beatitudes, he talks about the issue of uh, the issue of of blessing and happiness and where does happiness comes from um, jesus teaches this it te- he teaches that it really is our character that is a major foker 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 factor <laughs> a hard time it's because i'm trying to say french words jean valjean is a major factor in our happiness thankfully i said that word not other words <laughs> so let's read Matthew 5, 2 through 12, as we look about how he talks about our character and how that shapes. It's really that our happiness is a byproduct of our choices. Uh, Verse 1, it's not on the screen. It says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And it says, it's up here on the screen. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is the verse we're going to look at primarily today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account, meaning on Jesus' account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So a clear message that he's getting across is that happiness starts inside of us and then begins to work its way to the outside. It starts on the inside and works its way out. Happiness is not found through an outside, external uh, issue. It's, it's, it's choices we make related to our character that determines our happiness in life. And he shows that Christ-like character really reveals itself in our relationships. This, what we're going to look at today is really the parts of the Sermon on the Mount that talk about relationships. All of us deal with relationships, and so this uh, message this morning really is to highlight all the areas in his sermon that talk about how we do life with people and just some of the challenges we face. And so it's an overview of how relationships are to be different for those who are 
following Jesus. So Jesus' followers are these many things. Number one, as it relates to relationships, Jesus' followers are peacemakers. That's verse 9, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus, he highlights how there is there's a blessing on those who make peace a, a high, high priority. Scripture contains 400 direct references to peace. Um, the Bible opens with peace in the Garden of Eden, and it closes with peace in eternity. Okay? It's like the bookends of, of really the story. And this spiritual theme of peace can be traced through the history of mankind. And although peace on earth was really interrupted in the garden with the fall of man and sin entering the world, God, he took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And he, on the cross, Jesus Christ made peace a reality once more. And someday, Scripture says, Jesus will return as the Prince of Peace. He will deal once and for all with sin, with Satan, with suffering. He will usher in this new eternal age of peace. But when we look around our world now, we see cruelty, we see hurt, we see hatred, we struggle with those things ourselves. We struggle with anger. Peace doesn't characterize the humanity or the world that we live in, but Jesus, he calls us in, in this verse, Matthew 5, 9, to really join with him in this special mission to help restore the peace that was lost at the fall. He invites us to be peacemakers. That's part of what, would, what he's asking us or what he's inviting us to live in a life in, in a kingdom that does this and does relationships differently. He says, peacemakers shall be called the sons of God. That shall be called, it's the Greek, the, the tense there is this future tense that indicates for all eternity, those who make peace on this earth will be called the sons of God for all eternity or the sons of the children of God. What does it look like to be a peacemaker? The second thing helps kind of clarify what that looks like specifically we follow his example, and we take steps to, number two, clear up relationships. Jesus' followers, they make this a priority, to clear up problems in relationships, to not just run and to escape problems. But if, if you have people in your life, then it's not long before they're going to offend you. And it's not long before you're going to offend them. <laughs> it's just a matter of time, right? If there's people in your life, count on being offended by them and offending them. And so... We can get so worked up and so offended. We can get ticked off. Jesus, he warns about all sorts of problems that come up when we allow hurt to turn into bitterness, to anger, to hatred. And so like Jean Valjean, that prisoner who was set free, uh, you know, all those years in prison, though, he was stewing more than likely over, man, I'm in here for this, over his poor and unjust treatment. But Jesus, he tells us, don't stew, don't, don't let grudges form in us, but to deal with broken relationships. He specifically says this. This is Matthew 5, 23 through 24. He says this. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, so imagine. Imagine you've journeyed quite a ways to bring God an offering. You're there. You're ready to give God your offering, to worship him. And you're, you're really there to get things straightened out with God, to clear things up with God, to have you know, make your peace with God in a sense. And then he says this. You're there giving your, off, your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. All of a sudden, some things start coming to your mind that are not easy to ignore or forget. You're trying to get things right with God, make peace with God, but all of a sudden you, the hurts that you carry in life towards people, the offenses come to your mind. Look at what he says. Verse 24. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. 
He's saying, don't continue this act of ritual. Don't, don't continue this time of worship. Set down that offering. Set it beside the altar. Go. He says, first, here's the priority, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is critical. Jesus is making the point that the time for reconciliation is now. It's always now. The time for reconciliation is always now. Tomorrow is often too late. Whenever we delay this, we open the door for bitterness, hatred, anger, all of these things, grudges. And we lose years. We damage people. We damage ourselves. And all of those really result in great harm, not only to our relationships with one another, but it impacts. What Jesus is saying is this will impact your ability to relate to your Father in heaven. He's saying this is also an issue between you and him to not work through grudges and offenses. And so over time, we leave this. If we have a string of broken relationships, what happens is it causes us to just have to move on, to keep changing scenery, to keep swapping out people and places because nothing in our lives ever gets cleared up. And Jesus' followers, they take steps to make peace with others. And so Jesus, he just keeps addressing how life in his kingdom is going to look very different than, than the world's way of doing life. So dramatic shifts begin to occur. That's just another one, clearing up relationships. A third one is this. His followers refuse to use people for selfish reasons. If you move forward in verse 27, he begins to talk about lust. Here's what it says. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, he's, he's addressing an issue. Of, first, he says, you've heard about adultery. You know what that is. He's saying lust. He says, this is a real problem. The problem with lust is that it turns people into objects to use for our own selfish desire. So Jesus is saying, look, this is, this is an issue because God's made all people. And he's placed dignity and value on each person. They're not objects. And so whenever we objectify a person, he says, that, that really is damaging to people that I've made. And Jesus, then he makes these two very extreme statements in verse 29 and 30. Take a look. I didn't write these. I didn't put these in there. These are actually in the Bible. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, now he's talking about lust, right? Tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Is he serious? I mean, if he's serious, then I'm going to just say we should all be missing eyes and hands in here, right? Objectifying people, you know, that's, that's an issue that is, that is a real, real struggle, right? It's the, the issue that Jesus is addressing, what he's saying, he's not literally saying pluck your eye out and cut your hand off, uh, but what he's doing is he's being so extreme because he wants us to understand how extreme this issue is. You have to go to extreme measures to deal with it. Now, people have tried to do that. Origen, he was a third century church father, one who helped organize um, and sort out the key Christian beliefs in the third century. And after reading this passage of Scripture, he was so convicted of his own sinfulness towards lust um, that he took this passage literally. He took this passage literally. This is a picture of, or a, a painting of Origen. And you notice he has his eyes and his hands intact. And so, um, but on a certain level, and you can look it up if you want, he didn't take out his eyes, didn't cut off his hands, but he did some damage to himself. Let's just say. On a certain level, 
he, uh, he, dealt, he tried to deal with this issue of lust in a very extreme way. And I'm not going to tell you the details, but you certainly can come and ask. A couple people wanted to ask me about it, so I'll be at the guest and info table at the back. <laughs> Let's just say he went to an extreme level here. But others in, in church history have even reacted in similar ways, trying to battle with temptation like lust. What should we do? Jesus is saying, look, don't, don't brush it off as a minor offense. Don't, don't brush this off as something insignificant. And don't believe the lie that says, I, I can't help myself. We have to battle with this. Whenever we're tempted to objectify someone in whatever way you may be tempted towards, we have to ask God for help in the moment. We have to ask God to help us engage our mind with what we're doing. We have to be willing to confess that to God and, and many times to share that with people who are godly and who will help us grow in this area. Take it to some honest, godly friends. But this and many struggles that we deal with, what they do is they drive us right back to a place of depending upon God daily for the help that we need to make it through the challenges in life. This is just one of many issues. But Jesus is saying, look, in my kingdom, my followers are people who refuse to to, to use people for selfish reasons. Another thing, he says, Jesus is, you know, he says, my followers are trustworthy. In a passage on verbal commitments in Matthew 5, 37, really he's talking about don't make oaths. Don't make oaths. It's better. And then he says, verse 37, here's the heart of it. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Just say yes or say no. Anything more than this comes evil. Don't make this lofty promise and oath because if you do, I expect you to keep it. So just be a person of your word, he's saying. Jesus tells his followers that they must be people who do what they promise because God actually, he keeps his promise. And so in his kingdom, he wants people who will do the same. Trust is the foundation of all good relationships, right? Whether promises to a friend or or a commitment to repay a debt or to make a vow, you know, at a wedding. We're to be people who keep our word. Also, Jesus' followers are those who love their enemies and show them kindness. Now, this is very different, again, because when someone hurts us, our native is to hurt them back. It's to retaliate. It's to pay them back in some harmful way, just as they've... Um, dished it out to us. But Jesus says, look, we're to do this different as well. He has a great deal to say about retaliation, about revenge. Look at verse 38 first and then verse 44 and 45. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know, he said, you've heard the old saying, someone hurts you, you hurt them back. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Then he moves forward to verse 45. He gets to the heart of the issue. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. What? He says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. See, Jesus uses a word here for loving our enemies, and the word he uses has nothing at all to do with the way that we feel towards someone. The word that he uses is really the most practical description of the word love. The word love is agape, is to do to a person what they deserve, or what they not what they deserve, but what they need. Okay? Oftentimes we, we think, well, I'm going to give them what they deserve. And the heart behind this kind of love is to really give people what they need. You know, this is how God relates to us. I don't want what I deserve from God, and neither do you. <laughs> you know, and I'm thankful that I don't get all that I deserve from God. But out of love, He has given me what I need. He's given you what you need. Jesus' followers 
do the same for the people around them, including their enemies, including people who hurt us. Now, if you go back to the story of that prisoner who was really out on parole and then really running because he ripped up his parole papers, I want to show you another clip from that story. And his former prison guard has been hunting him down for years, keeping him on the run. And that, you know, now the prisoner, the, the tables are turned, and at this point in this scene, the prisoner, Jean Valjean, he has the opportunity to stop running, and to, he has the, actually the opportunity and the chance to execute his nemesis, Javert, and to take his life. And take a look at this scene. Just take a look at the impact of how he experienced grace and mercy and forgiveness and what that did to him. Eyes forward! Eyes to the rooms! Eyes to the rooms! Thank you, Monsieur. Give me no thanks, Monsieur. There's something you can do. If it is in my power, give me the spy, Javert. Let me take care of him. Do what you have to do. The man belongs to you. I guess it's still music. again you've hungered for this all your life take your revenge how right you should kill with a knife get out of here don't understand clear out of here once a thief forever a thief what you want, you always steal. You would trade your life for mine. Yes, Valjean, you want a deal. Shoot me now for all I care. If you let me go, beware. You still answer to Javert. You are wrong. And always have been wrong. I'm a man. No worse than any man. You are free. There are no conditions, no bargains or petitions. There's nothing that I blame you for. You've done your duty, nothing more. If I come out of this alive, you will find me a Rue de la Mame in number five. Doubt our paths will cross again. So, on one hand, you see this change. You see a changed man who really has forgiven and who's willing to just not retaliate. He's not taking revenge. He's trusting God with the hurt that he had experienced. And, and he lets this guy free. He had the opportunity, and it would have been done. And, and then over here, you have this man who's just refusing to let go. He just refuses, and he's holding on to some things. And if you've never seen the movie, it's, it's really um, done well. If you can't handle the musical, there is a movie. You can watch the movie. It was done like 15 years ago, or you can watch the musical. 
or it's playing down in San Diego. We saw it on Thursday. That's probably why we're watching this a little bit because because it was in my mind, and I was like, that's just, you know, it's so it just illustrates so well some of the issues that come up. You see, God's love is so powerful that it generates its own loving activity, and it's not dependent on outward conditions. That's what we saw. If we've truly experienced God's love, then we can tap into his love and then begin to extend that to others. Jesus is saying, if you love those who love you, big deal. Anybody can do that. But if you're my follower, I'm going to help you to love even those who are spiteful and hateful and reactive in their actions towards you. See, that's what he can do. He can transform the way we relate to people who've hurt us. Finally, the last thing, Jesus' followers do this. They take ownership of their part of the problem. They take ownership of their part of the problem. Matthew 7. So we've kind of like hit five verses in 5, 6, and 7, and, or at least, no, 5 and 7. But these are all the passages that deal with people and relationships and, and interacting with one another. But he's saying, look, my followers, they, they, they actually own up to their, their stuff. So they're, they're part of the problem that they create. Whenever we're at odds with anyone, we have a real hard time seeing past our own hurts. Um, in Matthew 7, 3, Jesus asks a key question. Here it is. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? You know, we, we see these parts of the offense that they've done, and these little specks, but we fail to see the plank, the beam coming out of our head the things in our life that we've done. And so many relationship conflicts that I've had, if I will start here and if I will just start by acknowledging what I've done and I admit to the other person, here's what I've done to you. Would you forgive me for that? What that does is it creates a path for peace. Now, it's, peace is not cheap ever. It's costly. Whenever you seek to be a peacemaker, if you accept Jesus' invite to be one of his peacemakers who will be called the son of God or a daughter of God, then it's, it, it will cost you greatly. The reason why is because Jesus paid a high price for peace with his own blood that he spilled for us. And so for us, being a peacemaker is also very, very costly. It's costly because to do it, we have to work through painful conversations. We have to own up to things. We have to keep choosing to live out his kingdom values because we recognize, we recognize peace with God was expensive for us. Jesus died for us to have peace with God. So his example, it gives us the power, it gives us the strength to really pull this off. And Jesus, he offers us this chance to do relationships differently. And so the big question for us is, will we respond? Will we keep going about our life the way we've been trying to do it, or will we respond to his offer to, to do life in his kingdom with his values? I'd like to wrap up by asking you to pull out that connection card and think through your next steps. Our worship team, you can... Come back up to the stage and ushers, you can prepare to receive the offering. And on the back of this connection card, you'll see that um, there's a few next steps, some ways to apply this morning's message. And here they are. Here's some suggested next steps. Number one is uh, memorize Matthew 5, 9. That's blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. To memorize that. Um, Second would be read the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing this week. Three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just read it, begin to uh, get into it, understand it better, so that each week as we look at these different pieces of it, you'll, you'll be able to grasp more of that. And then third, begin praying about which small group to join this fall. Um, small groups is where we actually interact with one another. It, you know, We can do some of that here, but we can do so much more when we're sitting in circles and we're able to just share life with one another. 
and meet each other's needs and share with one another and pray for each other. And so uh, begin praying about that because there's an opportunity to sign up coming in the fall. Um, in a moment, we're going to be receiving this morning's tithes and offerings. And if you came prepared um, to give in service, then I want to invite you to just prepare your offering using the offering envelope. And uh, people young and old and all walks of life really support uh, the mission and the vision of our church through their giving. And so when we were first starting as a church, we, we actually had um, four churches and three uh, ministry organizations that believed in what we were doing in launching this church. And so there was all of this outside funding coming to help this church get off the ground for the first two years. So about 50% of how we operated came from the outside, and the other 50% came from those who were part of the church at that time and were learning to give. And, and by year three, we were pretty much on our own as those churches and organizations needed to help others get started. And so, and since then, what we've seen is a tremendous growth in, in commitment as God has developed some real faithful stewards and givers. And so OCC is, is really a church that we're totally supported by the giving of those who are in our church family. And so we just want to thank you for that. Um, we're going to pray right now and commit the offering and, and just our time to prayer. So let's pray. God, we thank you again for your great love for us. Thank you for the story and scripture that we've looked at and just how... Um, how Jesus' sermon really just cuts to the heart of um, the real issues of how we relate to one another. God, and we need help in these areas. We need power and strength to pull this stuff off. And so we ask you for that right now. Would you, would you strengthen us, God, to, um, to begin to maybe call to our mind the area, the specific areas that we've looked at today. Which one of those or which two of those may be you know, the areas that you've pinpointed and that we need to address. Lord, show us what we need to do today, tomorrow. Lord, help us not to just be people who come and take in messages and hear things but do nothing with it. Instead, would you help us to be people who respond to you, Lord? And in that way, we're building a life that's on a solid foundation. Help us to be doers of of your word. God, as we give today, or as we've even given maybe already this week, Lord, we just pray that um, as we give, Lord, that our heart would be really to trust you with all that you have provided to us. Lord, so we thank you for the way you've taken care of us, for our families. God, right now we also lift up one of our families um, from our leadership team, the nieces, uh, and their their uh, baby twin boys who are sick right now in the hospital. We pray, God, that you would heal them. We don't exactly know what it is, if it's a virus or if there's something more serious. But right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we pray that they would be healed. We ask you, God, to just be gracious with them and guide the doctors, strengthen Brittany and Taylor, Lord, as they work through this and just try to be strong and, and to continue to play the roles and responsibilities that they have, Lord. And just lift them up to you in this time, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our ushers are going to be receiving the offering, and so ushers, you can go ahead and take the offering and, and uh, also the connection card if you drop that in there as well. Next week, I want to invite you to join us again for the second message in this series. And what we're going to be looking at next week is where Jesus talks about the decay and the darkness that we have in our world and his answer to the decay and darkness and how we actually get to play a part in, in, um, in that. And so in a moment, um, we're going to sing a final song. So if you would stand as we prepare to do that, would be great. Put our hands together as we sing this last song.
Your love and justice, God. 